So we're going to be in Acts 12 today and a few other places um, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, a few days ago I did a, a Zoom call with some pastors in India and as I was preparing for that the Lord, the Lord began to speak to me that morning, <clears throat> and He began to tell me something very strange that that you don't want to hear, that you don't long for, you don't ask God to tell you. Um, but He began to tell me over and over and over how unqualified I was. He began to tell me that I wasn't sufficient, that I wasn't really, he didn't say it this way, but in a way he was, I'm not good enough to be teaching these pastors. And you said, well, I think you're deceived brother. That was probably the enemy. No, I'm pretty sure it was God because the, the fact is, is that I am unqualified. I am not sufficient. I'm not enough. And I'm not the one that should be teaching pastors. He is. And it's only when I yield to him that I truly become enough. And I think that many ministers, um, if we're not careful along the way, we can make it about us. We can forget to yield. We can become so qualified in our experiences our encounters, the things that we know. As, in, as I was praying this morning, he was telling me the same thing again, just over and over and over that I'm unqualified. And then the scripture kept coming to my mind where Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. When Jesus is eternal life. You can know all you want about the Bible. You can uh, go to Bible school, uh, get a great degree, get a great position in a church, even become a head pastor of a church or a deacon and fall out of love with Jesus. And it can become about you and your achievements and what you've experienced. And it can just become about you. And as I was listening to the Bible a few days ago, there was a few pieces of scripture that really hit me pretty hard. And this morning, um, in Acts chapter 12, was, was the main focus um, of what I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about today. But more than that, the, if this was to have a name, this sermon would have a name, I would probably call it unqualified or not ready or unprepared because it's not about being qualified it's not about being prepared it's not about being enough although all those things are great we do need to seek out the qualifications by knowing the scripture by knowing who Jesus is we do need to prepare 
by reading and studying, but I'm sick of people studying and reading to preach. I'm tired of people uh, feeling like, because this is a lie the enemy has told me over and over and over, that it is your job to stay in the scriptures so that you'll be prepared to teach them what they need to know. And although that is true, that is a true statement, it's also a lie within itself because I don't need to study the scripture so that I'll be prepared to teach you. I need to study the scripture so I'll be prepared to receive him so that he can teach you through me. See, the enemy likes to come and tell little bitty lies that are actually mostly true and trip you up. But we have to remember that it's always about Jesus. It's never about us. We'll never be enough unless we yield to the one that is. In Revelation, John is there and he he begins to cry because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And he says, "Who, who can do this? And the angel says, there's one who's qualified. Jesus is the one that's qualified. Jesus also said, no one is good but the Father. And then he said later that the Father gave him all things that belong to him, so now Jesus is the only one that's good. Acts chapter 12. Start in verse 4. Let's do two. Let's start in two. It's just important. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Say he was going to kill him. Peter was therefore kept in prison. Say prison. Prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Say by the church. By the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, the night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, say two. Two. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, say I see. see. An angel of the Lord stood by him, and light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Say, even if you don't know it's real, you need to obey. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came out to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. Say, even gates open when we're following God. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So I'm going to stop here for just a moment. 
Peter is a heavy sleeper. I've been talking about this the last few weeks. But so is the church. The church is sleeping. The church, the church is in captivity. The church is bound. The church has enemy guards on each side of it. The church is locked away by the people that have killed the ones that were truly preaching Jesus. And most of the church are the ones that have killed the ones that are truly preaching Jesus. I began to pray a prayer here a while back. It's been three, four months ago, and I've been praying it most every morning. And I've been praying, God, defund the powerless churches. Strip the finance away from them. And give it to those that are going to preach you and walk in power. And I pray it several times every morning. Defund the powerless churches. Defund them. Close their doors. There's a church on every corner. And around every corner, hundreds if not thousands of people are sick. And nobody's doing anything. They got the money though. I can't take off on that. That's not what he wants to be talking about. So Peter's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's with James. James gets killed. He sees him get stabbed with a sword. I'm sure that scares him a little bit. But then he probably remembers in his head, if I'm Peter, I'm probably thinking in that moment, Jesus said there was going to come a day where people are going to kill you and think that they're giving service to God. Peter's probably like, this is that day, and I'm next. Peter probably, you know, as I read this this morning after the Lord began to speak to me about it, I was like, I wonder why he wasn't nervous in prison. He knows he, James just died. And he knows he's in prison now and probably going to die the next morning. You would think he wouldn't be sleeping. Now, we're going to talk about those two sides because, number one, the symbolism of Peter is the church. The church is asleep. They need to wake up. But also on the other side, we need to think about who Peter was and the fact that Peter, I believe that if I'm Peter, I'm thinking what I just said about Jesus saying there will come a day where they're going to kill you and think they're giving service to God. So I believe Peter was able to sleep the way that he was able to sleep because he, was, he knew he was about to become prophecy fulfilled. And I believe he was okay with that. I believe he was okay with the martyrdom that was about to take place on his life. And I believe that he trusted God that if God didn't want that to happen to him, not the sovereignty of God, but that the church would pray, move the hand of God, and something would happen, which is exactly what took place here. But today, I just want to mention that lightly, but then today what I want to focus on is the fact that, that the church is sleeping, but if those, those that are within the church will begin to pray... God will move his hand and send an angel of the Lord to come, wake up the church, and the shackles shall fall off, and it shall lead us out of captivity into power, and we'll think that it's not even real, but we just need to obey anyways. Amen? Might have lost some of y'all. Let's go to Acts 9. We're going to move on here. Acts 9, 19.
Say unqualified. Unprepared. Unprepared. Not enough. So in Acts 19, we find a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus that has been persecuting the Christians, persecuting the Jews. Um, Previously, not too far before this, he had just witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen and he approved it. But then uh, Saul has an encounter with with God on the road, gets blinded. And then God speaks to a man named Ananias and says, go and lay hands on him and heal him. And Ananias comes after a little bit of debate, right? We understand that? Good. So he's sitting there after just killing Christians, but he spent several days blind and all he has done is spent time with the Lord. Say, that's the key. That's the key. And it says, so when he had received food, 19, not... 919. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. My next favorite word, immediately. He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name of Jerusalem, the name in Jerusalem, and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So here we have Saul, who is completely unqualified. They don't believe him. They're at all that he's even preaching Jesus. They think that he's messing around with some foolery to try to get them captured so that he can kill them all. And they're turning against him. But when they turn against him, it doesn't beat him down. He gets more strength. He proclaims Jesus even greater. And because he didn't back down, because he didn't run away, because he didn't get beat up by the fact that those people didn't like him, they wasn't tolerating what he was saying, because of his past, because of what they knew him to be, he didn't let that stop him because Jesus had so changed him. He didn't allow thought patterns of his past to come up in his mind and he just turned and started killing people. He stayed changed by who who Jesus had changed him into be. He chose it because it would have been much easier for him just to go, you know what? You're right. Gather them up, guys. Let's kill them all. But he had had decided to follow Jesus. He could no longer do what he was doing before because he had been changed by an encounter with the Lord. Although unqualified, the qualification was within him because he had yielded to Jesus Christ and had decided to do what God told him to do. He didn't wait around. He didn't spend 10 years. He spent a few days and preached Jesus. Let's go to Acts 14. Back and forth. It's important, I think. Acts 14, 17. We're going to go through 21. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness 
and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and faithful reasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And these, these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So he's preaching Jesus in another place. It says, then, the, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So I want to stop right here just for a second. He's preaching Jesus. People are wanting to start sacrificing to him. Then some people from Antioch and Iconium, another city, came, persuaded the people that were about to believe that Paul was bad. So they turned on him, began to stone him. The disciples gather around him. They thought he was dead. And when Paul sees that he's gathered around by like-minded believers, he immediately gets up. It doesn't say that he goes back into the city and he spends two or three days a week recovering. It says right here, he went into the city and the next day, he's been stoned so bad that the people that stoned him thought he was dead. And the very next day, he didn't spend time licking his wounds. The next day, he departs with Barnabas to Derby. He didn't wait around to find out if he was still qualified. He didn't wait around to find out if he was enough. He already knew he wasn't. The stones just beat him. But Jesus in him was. And he had to be preached. He had to be lived out in front of people. Because this, him getting up like he got up, went right back into the city that stoned him, stayed the night there, the next day went on to preach Jesus, spoke more words to those people that had seen it than his sermon ever did. Because he was determined to do what Jesus said, even if it meant his death. I remember we were in a, a conference not long ago, uh, about a year or two ago, and uh, a guy was preaching and he did a, an amazing sermon on martyrdom. And at the end, he made a statement that really shook me. And I, it's probably not a day goes by that I don't think about it. He says, don't tell me you'll die for Jesus if you're not even willing to live for him. And I think about that almost daily because so many people talk about martyrdom, but they're failed to even live for Jesus. And if you're not going to live for Jesus and you think you could die for him, you're not dying for him anyways because you never lived for him. Just a side note. Then I, then I love this next part, guys. So he goes to Derby, and it says right here in 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, say that city, and made many disciples, where'd they go? Did they move on to another city? Did they, did they skirt around the, the city where all these people came from? See, because hell knew... Let me just tell you this right now. Hell knew and hell knows today the cities that we're coming after. And so hell will try to turn people against us from that city and bring them to the city that we're in to keep us from ever getting to the city where we need to be. Because here we have, you go back up to 19, it says Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. 
That wasn't even their city. What's it say in 21? When they preached the gospel to that city, he's talking about Derby. Say Derby. And made many disciples, they returned where? To Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch. The very city that almost killed Paul. He said, let's go there, boys. Where are we going to go next? Paul goes, let's go where they tried to kill me. But not just to the city where they tried to kill me. Let's go to the root of where the people came from. I love that. Strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Amen. So they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Poseidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word of, in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From there, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. That's a lot of places after being stoned to death. After deciding that you're not going to give up. Some of you, as I close, I want to just, just talk about this for a second. Some of you have been stoned. Not literally. Maybe you have. Some of you listening to this, if you have, I commend you for keeping on going and preaching the gospel. But some of you out there, most of you have been stoned by the world. You've been beat up by people. You've been beat up by yourself. You've allowed thought patterns to control your life and you've decided to submit to them and decided that your thought patterns are going to decide who you are. And today I challenge you to do what Jesus told you to do. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love yourself so you can love your neighbor well. To preach Jesus everywhere you go, to every person you meet, and not be ashamed or afraid because the only thing they can offer you is death. And for us that are in Christ Jesus, that's the ultimate reward. So what do you have to be afraid of? So I challenge you today to to get up, just as Paul did. Get some people around you to encircle around you, some disciples to encircle around you, and get up and go right back into the thought patterns that had beat you up. Stay the night there. Tell them who's boss. Get up the next day. Go on to the next set of pattern, thought patterns that have been destroying you and continue to go into everything that used to destroy you. Preach Christ crucified to those thoughts and watch them won over. Watch your mind begin to change. Watch your heart begin to change. Watch your, your favor on your life begin to change. Be hungry. So Jesus, I just thank you for your holy word. I thank you that we don't have to be qualified if we just yield to the one that is. I thank you that you're always going to be enough. You've always been enough. And you are enough. I speak peace and mercy over everyone listening. I speak boldness into their lives. 
And I, I bind every demonic thought that should come against them, every thought of their own that would come against them, and I command them to die now in Jesus' name. And may the thoughts and patterns of the gospel rise up and take place where those were high and lifted up. Love you, Jesus' name. Amen.